This is Catalog and Cocktails. Presented by Data.World. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome to Catalog and Cocktails. It's your honest, no BS, non-salesy conversation about enterprise data management with tasty beverages in hand. Presented by Data.World. I'm Tim Gasper, longtime data nerd, product guy, customer guy at Data.World, joined by Juan. Hey, everybody. I'm Juan Cicada, principal scientist at Data.World. As always, a pleasure. It is Wednesday, middle of the week, towards the end of the day. Time to talk about data and one of my favorite topics two of my templates, metadata and graphs. Uh, and for that, we're going to have a conversation today with Mohammed Said, who is the head of data architecture and engineering at Capco. And we finally, after so long, last September at Big Data London, we finally got to chat, meet in person, and chatted for many hours on this topic. And we're like, okay, we need to have this podcast right there. So, Mohammed, it is great to have you here. How are you doing? Yeah, ple ple pleasure to be here. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, let's kick it off. What are we uh, telling toasts? What are we drinking? What are we toasting for? So I've got a 0% Merlot um, because I'm a snob that takes my health seriously, apparently. Um, I, I, I did quit drinking, but I love the smell and taste of wine. So I, I stick I stick with this stuff now. Uh, and I suppose related to that, I maybe toast to health, right? Because I've been taking mine seriously. I hope you guys are maybe been doing a dry January or something. I know some people are. So, you know, as long as we're healthy and fit, then that's the, that's the important thing, right? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Ca cataloging cocktails every Wednesday kind of messes up our dry January plans. <laughs> but uh, that said, health is really important. And I'll, I'll, I'll cheers to that yeah. as well. And, and we got some some interesting stuff here, right? Yeah, well, I think we're, we're <laughs> kind of we're going on the other side. We got two know. bottles right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got two different. <laughs> uh, this is an ancladic. Uh, yeah. I just, I love Eyeless. Krukwona. Uh, we can't pronounce it. I don't know how to Anyways, pronounce that, but it tastes but, good. <laughs> but I'm going to cheers to hope. So here, here's something yeah. people, I don't know how many people know this. When we were like in the midst of the pandemic and we we're doing pot, catalog and cocktails every Wednesday, I was going to the gym. We're going to the gym, outdoor gym. And even though we were having the cocktail, a drink, an hour later, I was at the gym. And yeah. I continue, I, I mean, the gym is kind of a, I, I enjoy working out, so... Uh, I still do it, continue to go to the gym. Um, not always every Wednesday right now, but um, so cheers to health. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, cheers, cheers. So we have our funny question today, which is, what's your go-to karaoke song? Um, you know, honestly, I think it depends what mood I'm in. If, if, if I'm feeling really excited, there'll be some ACDC, some Black mm. and Blue shout. And if I'm feeling sentimental, maybe heartbroken, it'll probably be some Backstreet Boys, maybe some I Want It That Way or so, so, something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit dull. I go, I go for the classics, you know. I'm not crazy. <laughs> Actually, we went we went karaoke here as a team uh, event a couple of weeks ago. And I don't remember. Well, no, actually, the last time I did karaoke was uh, I was at the Gartner Conference uh, with one of our past guests, Allison Sagraves. <laughs> I went karaoke. I even forgot what it was. But I'll tell you, I don't know what my go-to karaoke song. I don't do it often that I have one. But I sang uh, All the Small Things from Blink-183. Oh, that was, that was that was that was that was good. That's good. That's catchy. Yeah. yeah. And, and then later on, I had I did sing some Black Backstreet Boys. So, yeah. <laughs> How about you? Um, I'm with you, Mohammed, on on the classics. I would go for Bohemian Rhapsody just because oh, I'm nice. that guy. Very nice. <laughs> Somebody has to always sing that. It's always a fun song, karaoke. But yeah. plus, you get to go for eight minutes, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get to hang out for a while. That could be the one song, and then you're done for that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's kick it off. 
Honest, no BS. So graphs are a hot thing. And I always say, I consciously say this, metadata is a graph problem. Do you agree or not? Where do you stand uh, on this? Yeah, I think I think it's become a graph problem in, in the data world, right? I, I was, I mean, we obviously spoke about this a bit at Big Data London. And you know, metadata has always been a graph problem on the web, right? As you know, because of like, you know, semantic ontologies and OWL and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, and, the, you know, again, we, we spoke about this a bit before, but the reason being is because the web is all about discovering stuff and it's discovering stuff that you don't know is going to be there tomorrow, right? Like, how can you predict, you know, you know, web pages don't go through an architecture board, they just turn up, right? You've got to find a common way of finding them, right? And if you're developing a search engine like Google, for example, you can't curate those relationships beforehand. You've got to look at how people navigate through the web and go, okay, this is how it's working, right? But I think in data, it's never been a graph problem before because you always knew what you wanted to do with data. So if you think about like warehouses, it's like it's going in there because I know what I want to do with it. I'm going to curate it. And I kind of define what's important. We need business metadata, technical metadata. But then actually today, some of the big banks we're working with, you don't know what you want to do with that data. And, and you don't know what's important. You don't know what relationships matter. And obviously, you know, what you guys are doing with data.world is creating a space where you can curate the metadata that matters and the relationships that matter. So I think it's become a graph problem because the nature of data volume, but also the kind of way we work with it. So, yeah. So Short answer to your question, yes, it has become one. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I would argue it's always been, but you have a, but there's some nuances here. I think it's interesting to say, like, it. we just haven't seen it that way or just because the the way the, the problems that were being tackled kind of traditionally didn't allude it to become like a, a graph thing. But so let's kind of, let's brainstorm. Let's talk about this. Like mm -hmm. what was, what would we call like a, a, a metadata in a pre-graph world versus and how does that shift here? I mean, love to get your insights. How, how are you seeing this? How, yeah, how so, are you seeing this? Yeah. So, so I think like, I mean, graph is, is a technology to enable you to manage data, like fundamentally, right? There, there's a way of storing it. But, but, you know, why would you store it in graph versus structured, right? It's the nature of the data, but it's also the nature of how you want to go through it, right? So the reason we have different storage patterns for data is because we need to make it easy for the computer and the user to find what they're looking for, depending on how they want to navigate it, right? Um, so in a pre-graph world in data, because I was, most of the stuff we did was warehousing and analytics and stuff like that, it's not a graph problem, right? You kind of say... Or you know maybe maybe you can disagree, but it's it's kind of, you know I I've got this data, it has a meaning, I know what I want to do with it, I'm going to architect it up top, I'm going to build some models, I'm going to curate it, I know how it's supposed to be used, and before I let my users get to it, I need to do that curation, right? I need to make sure that before I let it out there, it's documented, quality metadata, blah blah, so people people can use it and access it, right? But that's all based on the assumption that you know what matters, what you want to do with it, how's it going to work, et cetera, right? It's like when you design data models, right? This is the relationship. Who says who? Well, says whoever's going to use it, right? But when you, so, so, so what that means in a pre-graph world is you do your design up top, everything happens through curation, it gets reviewed, you document it, et cetera. But you have to do lots of work before you have metadata, right? You can get some technical metadata, but the really rich, meaningful metadata is all done by asking questions, interviewing people, whatever, whatever. So it's a it's a long lead time, right? But you but you know what you're working to. But I think when you move into the post graph world, you're saying I don't know what I'm leading to, I don't know what metadata matters, 
actually I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to let the users use the data and almost set the requirements for what metadata matters and then enable something through a catalog or whatever it is that allows other people to access it because metadata that matters to person A doesn't necessarily matter to person B, right? And there's there's things we're doing with banks that I can go into as an example of kind of where, where we're seeing that. But that, that's kind of how, how I would sort of see the shift at a really high level. Interesting. I, I've never heard it kind of laid out this way and it makes it's making a lot of sense. What, what do you think has been the biggest inflection point that has gotten us to start to move from this pre-graph world to the post-graph world? Right? Is it the use case is getting more complicated? Is it the volume of the data getting more complicated? Kind of curious about your takes there. Yeah, I, I think it's mainly about context and, and use cases, right? So, you know, one example is like, you know, I, I did a lot of GDPR BCBS, right? And so we did like data lineage and metadata and it's all like, you know, the data has to meet these standards. We have to report this thing and then working backwards through there, let's make sure all the stuff's in place. We're now working with kind of banks where somebody in Germany is going, hey, there's a data asset somewhere in the UK. Can I use that? Can I build that to build XYZ, right? And the way it kind of currently works is someone over there sends a message to go, hey, can I use this data? And the person in the UK goes, well, I don't know if you can use it. What are you going to use it for? What are you going to do with it, right? How do I know? It's not my responsibility, right? And so you think of something like a fabric or a graph that allows that person in Germany to look at that person in look at that data in the UK and go, what do they use it for? Who owns it? Who interacts with it? Is it PII? What regulations apply to it, right? And suddenly your metadata isn't, you know, can, can, can you ask the team in the UK to curate the metadata everybody around the world needs to make sense of that data? No, it's not a reasonable ask, right? But if you provide like a knowledge graph layer over that, then someone in a different jurisdiction can say, what are all the extensible problems or implications of using this? And then, then it becomes an intelligent conversation, right? So that's an example of where we're seeing that actually you need to have a graph-driven approach to metadata done through data fabric because you can't do it the other way. Like you, you can't predict those needs and you can't, it's not reasonable to kind of do it in that, oh yeah, sure, here's some data. Right? Well, I don't know what you're going to do with it. It's your decision, right? So, yeah. Yeah. No, so, so I think this is interesting. The, the, the use cases have gotten more complex. So if we think about this uh, in, in a kind of traditionally, as you said, like, oh, we we're going to go create this data. It's going to be created for this particular use case and so forth, and that's it. But then suddenly, I think I would think that there's two things. One, we get more use cases, like now because of regulations and stuff. So then, the types of questions people are asking are like, I didn't even know I needed this today because this or somebody took new regulation, right? So it was even hard to predict what are the use cases that you need to go together that metadata for. I think that, that's one aspect right there. Um, the other one, I, I'm thinking about the inflection question and it's equal lake thing. It, you said before, like we knew we were structuring to do what it was, what it was for, but then we started in this world of like, oh, let's just ELT, right? Let's just dump it in the lake. We'll just put it there. But so then now you've actually put it in a structure, that lacks the metadata and then Oh, you're like, wait, we need to put some cards around these things. Put it back in a little bit. And and for that, you need, you need to have that flexibility. Yeah. There, there was some inherent design to building out your schemas and your pipelines and things like that in a you know, sort of a pre-lake world. And that got um, 
a little bit thrown out move to more of this lake world, right? And so you actually took a step back in terms of the work you do beforehand in the documentation. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because when lakes kind of turned up, they quickly turned into swamps, right? And and then everyone basically said the same thing, which is we don't have metadata and we don't have data quality, right? Uh, and that's absolutely true. But the problem is, what is good metadata and data quality in a lake, right? Because if you do it in a warehouse, well, I can define that, right? Because I know why you're using the data. You put it in a lake, the whole purpose of it is it's raw, it's dumped in there because people are going to explore it. What, what guarantees as the data CDO office can I actually provide you with that data if the whole purpose of it is that I don't know what you're going to do with it? Right? So it raises this interesting question of like, what does good metadata and data quality mean? Like, you know, realistically. Right. What, puts, what is a good lake, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. What's, what's a good lake? And it puts a lot of pressure on data people because, again, if you can control the access point and the use case, and as a data person, I can put some guarantees around that. But if I've got data all over the place, how can I be responsible for the data? Right? This is a big CDO challenge, right? So in your perspective, kind of because I'm seeing this also kind of a lot in, in, in industries like in finance and stuff, what are the use cases that you're seeing that, that let's talk about finance if we can, that can be accomplished when you have your metadata as a graph versus if it's not in a graph? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think, I mean, one of them is we're talking about customer, actually, because the traditional kind of way of doing, I mean, MDM is data, but it's also metadata because, you know, there's information about the customer, et cetera, right? And the idea that actually you can't necessarily just have one golden record. Actually, what you need to do is build a customer graph, which says across our different product lines, systems, interaction points, et cetera, this is actually the same person. And then there's some metadata associated with that. So that idea of, you know, so there's one bank where, I mean, there's always this statistic we pull out. This is a shameless Capco plug. Um, but we, we built knowledge graphs that process 17 billion rows of customer data every time they run, right? And this is across all their lines, global cap markets client, right? And the purpose of that is to use the graph to basically pull out tables and other stuff to go, this is how you reconcile this stuff. This, this could actually be the same person, right? And they're using that for due diligence checks, anti-money laundering, fraud, client onboarding, they're using it for product recommendations. So that thing of like connecting products and customers, which you traditionally tended to do in a curated way to go, yeah, every customer can have multiple products. And you can't do it like that because the bank's too complicated, right? New customers are coming in and opening up accounts all the time and the way they behave and their needs, et cetera. So even just doing something simple, like I've got a sole trader, who has a business relationship, but they also have a personal relationship. They've also got wealth relationship. They've also got some trustee relationship and their circumstances are changing and they're globally based. That is a graph problem, right? You can't solve that by curating data based on known needs. You've got to use the graph to connect data and attributes, right? So that's, that's one big one. Just double clicking on that example around, like you mentioned, you started to name off like product recommendations, fraud, diligence checks, and you've got these 17 billion rows of data. I mean, you kind of mentioned this, I think, previously, but to kind of reiterate it and, and kind of make sure that I'm getting this here, those are like different contexts in which you mm -hmm. want to use the data. And I assume that in those different contexts, customer may mean something different. And therefore, the best application of that data to solve the fraud use case, the best application of that data to do a product recommendation, to your point about the golden record, it isn't one size fits all. Is that kind of a good way to summarize why graph ends up kind of fitting in there? 
Exactly. So, so you've got data points coming from different contexts, as in sometimes from a customer journey, sometimes from a relationship, sometimes from someone signing up online. It's coming from different contexts, but also from the context of someone who's trying to sell a product versus someone who's trying to find some AML kind of issues. Um, the definition of customer, as you say, is different. The attributes that matter are different, but then also the other relationships, right? So sometimes mm -hmm. credit information is important. Sometimes regulatory information is important. Sometimes things like their citizenship or, or residency is important. You can't predict that, right? You've, you've, you've just got to be able to make it easy to discover and share data, right? I would, I would summarize it. It's like you, ha you, you are connecting so many different data points, right? Which, which in reality, it's like a bunch of observations about this thing. With this thing as a customer, there's different observations, but you want to be able to put a different context lens over it. So it's kind of like this. Uh, here's if I put a lens over this, it's this part of the graph means this thing, it means this has this definition of a customer. But over the same observations in the graph, and I, I change the lens, it's over the same graph, but it's a different lens of it. It's a different context, different definition for it. That you'd use it for again different applications. So I think that's kind of the advantage of, of the graph for one. Would, is that an accurate assessment? No, totally, totally. And, and it, it comes to the question of like, what, what, why are you doing metadata management? Because it, previously it was like, I've got data and I've got to make sure it's documented properly. And that's kind of what metadata management does, right? Make sure my metadata is good. But actually now the purpose of doing metadata management is to make it easy to discover and connect things, which is fundamentally a graph problem, right? So you could argue that it's a, it becomes a graph problem because the purpose and value of metadata management is different. Right? You're not doing it for the same reason. This is a key point you just made. We traditionally have seen metadata as kind of a means of documentation, right? Yes. Yeah, data dictionary, all these things. I mean, we still need that. But now it's kind of the point that's like, well, I need to use that so people can search and find things. It's discovery. You really care about the relationships, and that's why it becomes a graph. The search, the search aspects is a really interesting. One. It, it, it is, and it, and I think there's a difference here between, I think there's like the simple lens by which, just to bring like catalogs into the picture for a second, right? There's like the simple lens that people look at like a catalog, and they're like, oh, I need to find stuff, right? Like that's sort of like the the very simplistic definition that sometimes people use for a catalog, but the more I think people who think about this more understand the value of the metadata and think of like that have a different lens, it feels yeah. like, which is, oh, no, 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 this is the context around which we are trying to effectively and properly use our data. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think back to like when I first got into data management and looking, you know, I've got the big Dharma book, everyone's got the big Dharma book, right? But I'm sorry, this isn't a criticism of anybody who contributed to that book or reads it, but <laughs> very much rooted in that world of, you read the chapter of metadata management, like, well, there's three types of metadata. There's business, there's technical, there's operational. This is what goes in there. So as a data person, I'm like, right, I'm going to define the metadata strategy, right? Because this is the proper way to do metadata. This is what it is, right? And you guys are going to have to conform to this. But actually, that's the wrong approach, right? Because as you say, it's about the context in which people use it and explore it. And yeah, you'll probably end up ticking those boxes, but it's not necessarily about conforming to the standard it's about harvesting knowledge of what data means and how it's used yeah yeah i've, I've always struggled with uh you know it's technical metadata it's operational metadata it's business metadata sometimes it feels like you're saying you know when you're building a house you can make a yeah. house made out of bricks you can make it out of wood or you can make it out of steel and it's like okay cool i mean i'm, I mean, I'm glad we have those categories but uh, it, you know, is that the most useful lens <laughs> 
I, I like this comment here that we have here. Is I wish, uh, I, I, I wish use case. And, uh, anyway, in just the use cases in financial in services. In the use cases in yeah. financial, financial services were only about, I wish the use cases in financial services were only about warehouses and lake. Okay. In a world with zero physical reality, data and metadata management in a large bank is about mapping the rivers and streams up the springs in the hills. A very uh, poetic. Uh, is that what are your thoughts about this? Well, and that's like a very poetic way of describing data lineage, isn't it? Is, is, is yeah, there, there you go. Talking about upstream and down. So let's let's continue. So we we kind of we're talking about like why metadata is a graph, and the first first thing has been about connecting, integrating data, and providing the context. Second, it's about search and discovery. Mm -hmm. uh, third, get, let's talk about this this other point about creating that map and navigating the rivers and and lineage and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. I'll throw it back well, to you. The map isn't linear anymore, right? I mean, you think about what people are building with data and analytics and all sorts of solutions, right? They're using data from systems that was built for, I don't know, capturing transactions, and now they're trying to use it to, I don't know, predict whether somebody's doing something naughty, right? So the lineage across the organization isn't simple anymore. Right? It's not a simple stream. Now you've got bits kind of coming off, right? And so, so again, like you, you're seeing people use meta, um, graph based technology to do lineage because, again, it's not about saying it goes from system A to system B to system D. It does, but actually, those rivers and streams, to use the poetic analogy, are constantly changing, right? And so, you need to understand how a certain data point travels across the enterprise and gets used, which is dynamic. You can't design that. I mean, I've used Axon and IBM and all those kind of tools where you map the lineage. Fine, you can't map that with foresight. It's always changing, right? You, you need you need the graph-based approach to discover it in real time and go, well, why why are you guys using it from there? Shouldn't you be using it from there, right? And have those intelligent conversations as opposed to this is the lineage, right? You can't you can't forecast that, right? Um, uh, yeah, and it, it, it it's uh, and it also comes into the implications, right? Because let's say you know we talk about scorecards and regulatory reporting. It comes from System X. That's the right place. If you're, you know, I, I remember at Big Data London, Monte Carlo, the, those guys, and I was really impressed with the whole observability and reliability thing because you're understanding the implications of a data set changing, going missing, whatever, on a hundred things downstream that, again, you can't predict, right? So, again, this becomes a graph problem between relationship between systems and environments and end users, right? So, again, you could argue that data lineage is fundamentally a graph problem in, in complex organizations, right? Yeah, 100%. I think, I think this is something that we're realizing that lineage is definitely, I mean, people want to go see the see the lineage and that itself is a graph when you look at it. And then we have the two traditional use cases, right? The impact analysis of, oh, I changed this column, how is that going to affect? And you're trying to find all the paths. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, if a root cause analysis, there's a problem wherever, like, where does that come from, right? And then again, it, it's a path. Um, so th th those are effectively graph problems right there. And, but then what's more around lineage because I, I think we're just barely scratching the surface we see that well, i hear these two topics more but there's what may way more that we should be doing with lineage in the graph um i got some thoughts here but i don't want i, I want to hear from you like what what are we missing out that we should be doing more and taking advantage of the graph structure when we're, when we're looking at, at, at metadata from a lineage perspective from a lineage perspective hmm, it's interesting um I definitely think there's something about how it's used. I, def I definitely think there's something about, I think if you use graph 
for, for lineage, I, I think you can get into questions of what data is worth and what data is valuable, right? And where you should be investing your resources, right? Um, because again, the whole purpose of it is you're understanding what data do I have a massive system dependency on, an operational dependency, but also kind of value dependency on stuff people are building. So then you can move away from this thing of, well, we're going to plan how we're going to invest in data based on, I don't know, the guys in finance use loads of data. And you're actually taking it from, we've harvested our lineage data. You could use something like Solidatus or whatever, or whoever it is. And we've put it into the graph structure. And now we have a relationship across environments, across geographies, across systems, across business processes, across users, across tools. And then we can start having a really interesting conversation about what data practically not matters, not the data that we get the business guys in a room and they say, oh, customer data is really important. No, that's not interesting. What's interesting is there is a major business dependency on these five data assets that go through these systems that are used by these people. Let's get that right, right? So I think I think that's that, that's an interesting point for me. The yeah. risk, you know. I, I really like the way that you're positioning that. And like going back to like what data is worth, what data is valuable, what do you plan to do with it, the use of the data, like, I think this connects to something that I know, like, for example, one of our customers is doing uh, that's very interesting is actually they're starting to catalog the decisions and the business processes. Uh, and then when you have that context, and, and that, by the way, that's not typical, right? Most companies are not going to that level in terms of trying to build out the metadata, right? And then you also have the technical metadata and things like that. Now, all of a sudden, you can start to ask questions like, hey, like, is are we making decisions off this data are we making the most important decisions off of this data when some problem happens which decisions do we impact i mean that's even just one lens of it but there, there's a whole world bigger than what is typically looked at yeah, right? when we i mean we're, we're talking we're in this topic of the lineage which is like the map and i think there's like different kind of uh like context reviews around that map right we can be we can get very we can get get very into the details and talk about the technical stuff and then like yeah is how do i know if something is worth it or is it valuable right one way is to, is to identify the dependencies i like to think about this as like mm -hmm. how complex is something i mean if you look at it in a graph you're like well if i here's this node this node represents uh, a system a database a table a view whatever hey there's a lot of things that go into it there's a lot of things that go out to it like this is a really important thing like we should know about that did, did we know about that who's responsible for that who's a steward of this like like we, we should maybe we should we should even simplify this because there kind of is a lot of risk around that so identifying those things is like well there's a there's this very important set of executive reporting that happens that depends on this stuff like let's identify that so i think one those are just kind of literally applying basic graph techniques, algorithms to identify that. I think there's we're just barely scratching the surface on that when it comes to the technical side. But then if we elevate a little bit more, I've been talking talk about we need from data literacy to business literacy, right? We need to go understand more of the business and so forth. I mean, I'm, you see my rants on LinkedIn about show me the money and ROI and all that stuff. Well, part of it also I think is we need to elevate from like technical data lineage to business lineage. Like I want to be able to understand and incorporate in that graph, not just all the technical, going back to the technical, like let's connect the business metadata, which includes here are the business processes, here are the decisions that are being made, here are the outcomes that occurred, who, here are the people who actually took those decisions. I mean, here this is all a graph. And then here's the thing that was used thing and so forth. And, and now you start making a, a, 
the map becomes much more valuable. It kind of shows what the money is, I think. Yeah, 100%. So sorry, your connection just slightly breaking up a bit, but uh, can, can you hear me? I'm coming through. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, think about like how that accelerates the whole process of data governance and data protection and all that sort of stuff, right? Instead of going around and going, "Hey, who owns this thing? Any volunteers?" No, right? Actually, using that graph approach, you've got a very clear set of who actually makes decisions on this data, who actually uses it, right? And so, yeah, it definitely. I can see that that really drives data culture. Because where I've seen like data culture and literacy is people people do things like let's go around and lecture everybody about the importance of data. Well, that's not valuable. That's not going to change anything. So what, right? Um, but actually, if you have that kind of graph of this is who uses it, who makes decisions on it, then you actually you can engage with those people on the data and the context that matters to them, and go, guys, we know this stuff's really useful to you. We know you use it. Actually, you know, we, we, we want to put a bit more governance around this. We want to kind of understand it a bit better. That will help you, et cetera. So that, yeah, that data-driven approach, I can see it making governance a lot cheaper and a lot quicker, right? So instead of doing the whole let's go around and convince everyone data matters. You know? Right. And, and I want to put this comment here. Let's read it out loud. It's a, uh, It says, there are graph problems throughout at different layers. Resolve our language differences. Absorb tribal dialects to get to a shared understanding. Second, intersystem data lineage. Third, referential lineage. Um, uh, how, how, to how, how do transformations and lookups depend on each other's across the systems? Fourth, runtime lineage. How did this version of this report come to be? Which versions and values of inputs were used this time? So I think at the end of the day, we're seeing that there's, this, this is the third one that we talked about, is like there's this map. And this map can get into so many details to help us ask so many much more detailed questions, which I think we're just barely starting to realize the questions we should ask. So we've gone through three three things here. We're kind of the whole topic is like the use cases around metadata and a graph, right? Um, so search, uh, integration, and uh, search, and creating this map. Is there anything else you would add here? Uh, we're, we're brainstorming here live around this stuff. But. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I, I feel like those three are, are, are a lot of meat to chew on. There's a lot of fat to chew on. I think so. So yeah. let's let's talk about the outcomes. And we you were already talking about this. So you're like, okay, so I do metadata graph. So what? And I think you've already touched on some things about like helps accelerate data governance, right? I mean, right right now it's expensive. And if we can make that, automate that, uh, make it cheaper, uh, drive data culture is another thing you said. What are the, are the outcomes that we're able to achieve? Because we look at metadata as a graph problem. Um, we're able to achieve those outcomes as instead of if we didn't look at it as a graph problem. I, I think the biggest thing is on the value point, right? I, I think if you most, you remember, data management governance fundamentally this stuff came out of like a, a negative space as in risk avoidance like let's avoid it being wrong let's avoid billing the wrong customer but when you're moving into the innovation and the value space and kind of how do i get data utilized and discovered and get people building it that's when the graph approach really becomes the massive enabler i mean that that's really the big sale of like data fabrics right is it going to make it easy to innovate and connect data and this sort of stuff right so so, so for me it's like you know, you the the it, it starts, I think, by going, how does how does the way we manage data translate into what people can do with it? 
right? So if I've got a pre-graph way of managing data, what I'm doing is I'm fundamentally averting risk, right? And so all of my investment decisions there, if I go to the business people and go, hey, I need money for a governance program, why? The risk conversation is always easy, right? Trying to sell data governance as a value conversation, very difficult, right? Um, but actually, I think if you were a CDO or a CTO, you'd kind of sit with your business people, your head of analytics, your head of digital, whatever, and you go, okay, guys, what's the product suite you want to build over the next 10 years, right? You want to build these products, it's all cutting edge, it's blah, 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 blah. That's not going to happen if we don't move away from managing our data in a castle where it's all locked up and towards managing our data in a way that it makes it easy for you to build those products, right? So for me, I really think the graph approach is connected to value from data. Like that, that, that for me is the really big benefit. The, um, I think we just lost Muhammad here for a second, but we'll continue here. Hopefully he'll join us in a second again, but. I like this focus around outcomes here. I think that's huge. And I think it kind of brings us full circle. And then Muhammad, I think we've got you back right. here. Yes, sorry. <laughs> no, no worries. This is another great observation here is that if, and we look at governance and metadata management historically, right? It's It came out of the BCBS 239, right? The financial crisis in the financial world, and it's there to do the risk. And it was kind of well-defined what you needed to go do. Here are the use cases. You need to keep track of these X amount of things, and you're good to go for the risk. And, and then I think at some point we realized, well, now we need to have governance, not just for the finance, for these particular regulations, for other types of regulations, for more things. And then basically the world is evolving so fast that we can't keep keep up with it as with our traditional ways, yeah. that we need something to help us to be very agile about it. And the graph gives us that very, uh, that nimble, agile approach to be able to go integrate data, provide a different context around that. So if you're just kind of, I think the takeaway here, and we're kind of jumping ahead into takeaways already but a little bit, but is, the if you are just want to go deal with the basic r just risk stuff, then probably don't need to think about so advanced here. But if you're thinking about, I need to be not just defensive with my governance, right? What uh, Mark, our friend Mark Kisson always says, breaks in a car to slow you down. If that's what you want. Then, then uh, yeah, just your traditional stuff. But if you want to be able to turn more about have data as an enablement, breaks in a, breaks in a car to help me drive fast safer safely you want to start thinking about it as a graph. So, so we, we've mentioned before, like Laura Madsen, right? The whole agile data governance, brilliant book, right? And I, 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 I data I, governance, one of my favorite books for sure. A must read. My bookshelf, right? But, but it's like, it's really like her whole thing around agile data governance. It's value driven. It's, it's about taking yourself away from the position of I'm responsible and towards we're 1% better than yesterday. Cause I'm helping you guys understand and we're curating knowledge, right? the underlying architecture that supports her approach to, ag to agile data governance, I think is a graph-based approach to metadata. Those two things go really hand in hand. So agile data governance tied together with metadata as a graph. It, me, you guys, and Laura Madsen. That's it. We're going we're, we're gonna to change the world now. I truly really love it. Here, here's another great comment we see here. Let me go read it out loud. By mapping the money value risk, you know where to focus your finite data weapons first and next. Map issues, uh, causes, and effects on top of your lineage graph to supercharge optimization as a team. Perfect. I mean, we just, the takeaway here is that there's just so much more that we can and should be doing with metadata uh, that by just opening it up and thinking about it as a graph, just 
you have more imagination here to things to go do. Hundred percent. How do how do we get started? Right. I think a lot of people yeah. look at this conversation even, right? We use this as a microcosm. They say, wow, this sounds exciting. Metadata in a graph. How do I, how do I make that happen? Uh, I, you know, what, what are some of your recommendations to folks who may be listening, trying to figure out how they start to move along in this journey? Especially folks who are kind of realizing like, yeah, okay, I get it. I'm in this pre-graph metadata world. Like how would I move to more of a post, be part of this post world in the graph? Mm -hmm. What are your, I mean, based on your experience, what are- I think, I think we touched on it before, which is what are you trying to do with metadata management and lineage? If it's just averting risk, I would not recommend that you go to your CEO and goes, I need a million tons of new knowledge graphs, <laughs> right? Like I think, well, not, maybe it doesn't cost that much, but you know, I, mean? I, don't, I think it's like, what is, is this challenge relevant to you, right? So in the last week, I, you know, there's a potential client we're working with, they want to clean up a data warehouse, I'm not going to tell them to build a knowledge graph for their metadata. They just want to, they're relatively small. They just want to get a better warehouse probably running in, you know, one of the leading vendors, right? But then when we go out and we talk to some of the larger banks and they're going, I'm trying to run a data analytics function and I've got a hundred different users. And how do I do this? So we, then we talk about, right, data products, right? Lifelong ownership of data, agile teams, whatever. Um, some of the stuff I've read about using team topologies for data and then graph approaches comes into it. Right, because you're dealing with so much complexity, right? So I think there, there's something about stepping back and going, this is obviously a really interesting kind of topic, but is is the challenge relevant to you? And I think the first 15 minutes of, of this, when we were talking about pre versus post graph, I think it's worth sitting down and just putting that down on paper and doing some ticks and crosses, going, do I actually have a problem, right? Um, and then I think the other thing is, who's going to benefit from this, right? Because you can sit in a box and build a graph, but actually graphs don't build themselves. So if I think about like um, Google, the reason, you know, when you Google something, it shows you other stuff that's related to it. They didn't curate that. That's based on user behavior, right? So the graph kind of builds itself as people use the data. So where's the area of the business that people are actually going to use the data to be able to curate that knowledge where you can go to them and say, guys, we're going to unleash this stuff. And what we want to do is work with you to build some knowledge around how you use it, et cetera. Right. Um, so it comes, I think it comes back to fundamentally, like, is there a business case to start talking about it? And are there people who are going to not d deliver it with you? Because when I think about data governance programs, you get people to deliver it. Oh, we need you guys to give us a steward. Graph isn't like that, it, you know, data.world. It's about users, who's going to use it, who's investing time, right? So who are those people, right? And what, what I definitely say is I wouldn't start this conversation by talking about graphs. I would start this conversation by going, what are all the stuff that we can't do with data now? And how valuable would it be if we could do X, Y, Z? Like imagine a world we could do this. Is that valuable? Could we do that? And I think a mistake that a lot of data people make is they go into a room thinking, this is my 15 minutes with the COO or the CEO, and I've got to get the answer now. Actually, you don't, right? Build it up slow, right? Pop in, have a conversation, lay the groundwork, whatever. You don't have to convince people straight away, right? It's, it's, I think it's about starting softly and building appetite before you rock up with a solution and a suggestion. Don't, don't, don't rock up with the solution first. No one will know what so basically, when you're selling this internally to your organization, do the opposite of what we did in this podcast. You start with the, <laughs> the value and you work your way back. <laughs> Actually, listen to this from the back all the way. To the yeah, listen to it in reverse. Uh, 
<laughs> just listen to this in reverse, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like a secret tomato soup recipe or whatever. <laughs> this has been a very uh, thoughtful uh, kind of conversation. And before we head to the lightning round, I do want to I want to be very honest and no BS here. Um, people listening, they're like, "But wait, Dana, we know this is Data World. Data World, are you are you crossing the line right now and kind of being salesy around this stuff? Because we know Data World markets themselves as being a data catalog powered by a knowledge graph." And I want to be I want to be very open and explicit and honest with everybody here. The reason why I wanted to talk about this with Muhammad is that this is something that is just in my freaking gut. This is in my in my passion, my heart, and I genuinely believe that this is the right thing to go do. And 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 to be very honest, that's why I'm here at Data World because this is, because we were very aligned, and I continue to, and I continue to be here. Um, so so I I don't want people who are listening to this to think about this as oh this is a salesy thing right now. I I am here. I am coming in. I'm being extremely honest, saying that. I genuinely believe that this is the right thing to go do on how to go manage data. And as and as Muhammad, as you said, is if your if your goal is just to go do just very traditional risk and compliance, and that's it, then then no, don't do this. You're going to overcomplicate. So I'm actually going to tell you, don't even yeah, don't do this stuff. But if you are really thinking about what I always call focusing on the known use cases of today, and you need to deal with the unknown use cases of tomorrow, then just graphs, knowledge graphs give you that flexible architecture that gives that flexible agile opportunities to go deal with the knowns and the unknowns. And, and, and at the end of the day, I think to kind of wrap this up a little bit is this is new tech. Yes. It's scary. Talk about RDF and sparkle and things like new for days. Like, yeah, but I, I mean, this, I think this is kind of why we've kind of been stuck ourselves is because people are kind of afraid of new tech in a way, but at the same time they, they jump on all their bandwagons and stuff. So here's my call, my, my call to action, my requests, my pleading, please open up, uh, be more cu curious and, and look at all these graph technologies, these semantic technologies, the RDF and Sparkle and all, because I think this genuinely, genuinely is a way how we should be managing data. And you started out, Mohammed, about this, is like the web was all about like, no, you couldn't control what websites were gonna, you have to decentralize this. And, and we've now realized that governance can't be live in this ivory tower. You need to be able to have this way of managing in the decentralized. There are things that need to be centralized and so forth, but you need to have this ability to be very agile and, and decentralized and graphs enable that. And with that, I'm going to get off my soapbox because I can keep ranting here. Uh, I, I, let, me, let me pass it on to you, Mohamed, before we go to our lightning round. Any final thoughts here? No, I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, obviously we're, we're focused a lot in the FS space. Most of the clients are really, really kind of big clients and they, they use all the tools you've all heard of, right, on the Gartner thing. But I've definitely seen data.world come into some of the, so some of the clients we're working with, some of the RFPs, et cetera, and it's because of this approach to metadata management. Like it's because they want to move away from curating metadata, which they can't do anymore, and they need to move to, we're trying to create a digital exchange, we're trying to create a marketplace, we're trying to create you know, monetization of our data. We can't do that by just manually curating metadata. We have to do that by building a graph that people can search and they can find meaning and they can define what the data is worth, right? So I, I'm, I'm seeing it all the time. And I think I think you guys are ahead of the curve. There's no, no, no doubt about that. Um, so keep talking about Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, apologies, we're not across the non-salesy thing, but I want to respect our, our listeners who really value us for being non-salesy here, but again, it's 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 the passion we have. Like this is the right thing to do. Right. It, it it stands on its own merits. Right. Yes. With that, 
lightning round. Lightning round presented by hey, I got we've got to thank the Dot World who lets us do this. I'm having freaking whiskey on Wednesday to do this. So all right, I gotta kick it off. Lightning round, question number one. Fast forward 10 years. Is there a metadata graph at the heart of every enterprise's data platform? No. <clears throat> no. I love this honesty right here. Okay. Expand on that a little bit. I need to for the reason I think we said, which is, I mean, enterprises can be small, medium, large. Um, you don't need it in every single place. I can imagine in large enterprises, some people taking a more traditional approach in some areas and others saying, actually, you know, whether it's in a region or whether it's in some kind of environment where we collaborate and building stuff, we've chosen a select set of data sources that we bring into a graph because actually we want to do some interesting stuff with that. So I think putting all of your, you know, it's it's like when people say, get all the data governed. Really? <laughs> you need to do that? <laughs> so I think there's different approaches for different bits and not, not all of, not all of it needs graph even in a big enterprise. So no. It's not going to be one size fits all. No. no. That makes sense. I think that's very fair. Um, and 10 years, although it feels like a long time, isn't as much time as one might think, right? Um, all right, second question for you. Instead of yes or no, this is actually going to be multiple choice. So we talked about kind of an integration, golden record, and context kind of category of things, right? We talked about search. We talked about this, the map and the lineage and sort of the relationships, right? If you had to pick one, which of those is the most important? I actually think some combination of the first two, right? Uh, I think the third one, I understand from the perspective of people who work in data IT platforms that, you know, I want to know where all the data goes. That's great. And I, I'm not downplaying that. But the value, the real value is in the combination of the first two, right? So, so the example of like the customer that I talked about, I mean, how, how many millions, billions have been spent globally on trying to master customer data? Right. And every five years, the same companies buy a new MDM tool to master. It's like, haven't you guys solved this problem already? <laughs> right? How much have we spent on this? Right. So I really think that that customer thing of connecting data and searching through that and discovering your version of customer with your attributes that make sense for you. That is just super powerful. That's super powerful. All right. Next question. Defensive use cases, risk, protect, security, offensive use cases, new products, new insights, new value creation. Will the offensive use case ultimately win out? For graphs, yeah. <clears throat> For graphs, yeah. Because actually, I think to solve the risk use case, you know, I mean, to be fair, graphs make it a lot easier to identify risk, right? Like, what's the risk of this data? Well, you know, I, I, can, I can know that, but I can see the implications. So I think graph makes it easier to detect the the impact of risk and it makes it easier to understand the value of data and unlock the value of data. But I think the, there's a big change for me, which is if you want to have the graph conversation, I, I think it's easy to talk about manual approaches when you're talking about risk because, like, okay, there's a fine, let's avoid it. I think going and saying, let's build a knowledge graph to avoid a fine, it's like, do we need to do that? But I think if you have a value-focused conversation around graph, you're suddenly saying, actually, there's a lot of valuable stuff we could build there. And there's all these products at the moment that you're not going to be able to build. And you, you want to do a digital DeFi exchange, you need you need graph metadata. So I, I think it's a value-driven conversation, uh, which is good. So as data people, we want to have value conversations, right? We, we, we don't want to risk all the time. Right? Well, 
And your comment there about risk just made me start to have a bunch of thoughts around sort of the interplay between graphs on one angle, one side, and then like policies, processes, workflows on the other side. But that that's going to have to be a topic for another day because I think that there's a whole interesting thing to explore there. Yeah. Um, all right, last uh, lightning round question for you: Do you need to have a graph expert or be one to get started with metadata and graphs? Depends what you mean by get started, right? Um, I, I think to get started on laying the, building the appetite, which I think is where you start. I don't think you need a graph expert. Um, you know, I know this is the no salesy show, but I, I think you need someone more like me. <laughs> like, frankly, right? So sorry, apologies. But, but yeah, I think you need someone who can just talk, and that could be you, could be someone in the business. Maybe a business sponsor, maybe somebody on the business who gets it, who can advocate for you. I always think that's how you get started. But if you mean get started as in developing stuff, then yeah, you, you need you need to get a graph expert in to explain to you what's the challenges and and also like how how much can you buy off in one go? Like like realistically, how much data sources and challenges do you actually want to take? Because there'll be there'll be a question eventually. Somebody will come and say, "What are we doing with this?" And if you've bitten off more than you can chew, you're going to be in trouble. Right. So I definitely take some yeah. technical advice. No, that's, I think that's some really good advice. And yeah, every once in a while, you know, even we see folks who will say, you know, oh, yeah, we want to put everything in the graph. It's kind of to your point about like, you know, I want to govern all the data. Right. And it's like, oof, like, so you want to go straight for that? huh? Well, may, why don't we focus on the use case and what's needed for the use case? So I think I think that's valuable advice. And and it sounds like you can if get started means more the business angle, like, hey, let me get, build excitement, sponsorship, figure out the right value and use case sounds like you don't necessarily need to be a graph expert. If you want to take things to the next level, you really want to kick off some development and things like that, then then having that skill set becomes really important. Well, we'll keep Mark, Mark Kitson on standby. All right. <laughs> All right. We got TTT time. Tim, take us away with takeaways. All right. I think one of the biggest things that we started with here was around the fact that metadata while maybe it didn't always used to be a graph problem, I'm sure you can argue that graph could have been interesting back a while ago, that it's now becoming a graph problem. There's sort of this pre-graph world and this post-graph uh, kind of world where now it's, it is very valuable and, and, and things have shifted a little bit over time. Um, metadata on the web always was a graph, right? Um, and now we're starting to look at how it can apply to our own data infrastructure, data architectures. Um, the web is really about discovery. Um, and similarly, like kind of in our own environments, right, this helps not just with the discovery, but also trying to create from the data. Uh, previously, in the pre-graph world, um, you had the data and you had a specific use for that data, a specific meaning of that data. Usually things were in a much more structured environment. Uh, and based on that, you know, a set of assumptions, you kind of designed for certain use cases. And so things were a lot clearer. You're designing up front, kind of curating up front. Usually you're pairing it with certain workflows and documentation. So metadata was a little bit more cut and dry, a little more structured in that environment. But then once you started to get into this situation where you don't necessarily know what metadata matters, um, really, the users and different use cases are setting the parameters for the requirements, not the designer of the data pipeline and the applications upstream. And that metadata that matters to person A or use case A may not matter to person or use case B. Now, all of a sudden, enter graph. 
And now graph can have a really big impact here. And this inflection point happened where you've got um, sort of different contexts, different use cases, you've got different regulations coming in and those add additional kind of uh, context on top of this. Um, you've got different um, uh, sort of, you know, structured versus unstructured data lakes versus, uh, you know, warehouses, uh, lake houses. Um, you know, all of this environment is it's, it creates this like multi-dimensional um, matrix that we have to navigate. And hey, there's a technology that helps us with that. Right. It's called a graph. Um, and so I, I think this set up a really good kind of context for like why maybe graph didn't have its moment in the world of metadata management before, but now knowledge graphs, metadata and graph is really having a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. and, and Juan, what about you? Where, what, what were your big takeaways? So for, first of all, I love how we got to these three very concrete use cases we could take away. So what are the use cases of having metadata in the graph? Number one, it's about integration and context, right? You, you can't have, and you can't have, consider anymore having the golden record of a customer. You have that customer graph because there's just so many relationships. Businesses are dynamic, circumstances changes, right? You can't, you, you need to be able to have that be support being very dynamic and deal with the different contexts, right? You can build a graph that pulls in all the observations together and have different lenses, different contexts around that. So that's number one. It's Connecting, integrating data, and providing different contexts. Second, it's about search, right? So, before metadata has been focusing on document on documenting, right? But now we're seeing that metadata is being used for search and discovery, and that effectively is a graph problem. It's about relationships. I mean, look at Google. Like you, you Google and you search, you get your knowledge panel, which is a graph and everything. There, Google's knowledge graph. And third, it's about really creating that map. And the issue is that the map isn't very, isn't linear anymore, right? It's again, you don't just have this simple stream of data, right? And a simple stream goes into the data warehouse is done. It's like again, things are very dynamic. Things start changing. It, it, it go, people goes branches all over the place. It's not just system A to B to C. It's, it gets very much more complex. And that graph helps you navigate that map, right? I can understand now: is my data worth something? What is it? How I can check the value? I can check the usage of it. Understand the dependencies and figure out help me to go plan things. I have a very detailed map. So I love those three things that we came up to. And then talking about the outcomes, like basically, so what? Show me the money. This is this next part is how you should start the conversation with your sponsors is biggest thing is value. So if you're looking at, if you're focusing on metadata that's for dealing with risk, then you probably don't need the graph. But you're going to start talking about value, starting going, doing valuable things with your data, generating those new products. That's where the graph is going to come in. And definitely it does help to accelerate your governance. It helps to accelerate uh, your risk. And I'd like how you said, agile data governance and metadata in a graph, that's a dangerous and perfect combination you need to have. And I think third, it helps you to drive that data culture that you need to do. And finally, how to start? Well, question is, what are you going to do with your metadata? I mean, this, this is the thing. If you're just focusing on your traditional known use case of risk, Maybe you don't need that. But if you're trying to run a data analytics function that has hundreds of users and you're generating data products, like that something is going to lend itself to a graph. Um, who's going to benefit from this? Like who has this, who's putting skin in the game here? At the end of the day, like this knowledge and these connections don't happen automatically. Like somebody, teams need to be part of it. They need to go build and add to the graph. So who's going to be part of that? Uh, and then finally, like, don't start the conversation with your executive sponsors with technical things about graph, right? Start with this last part of the podcast and, uh, and then go, go reverse. <laughs> you do. What did we, anything we missed? Anything to add? No, I think that's it. I, I think what's really exciting is that, you know, for the, you know, we often talk about data in a 
risk avoidance conversation. I think the graph puts it squarely in the value space, and that, that's where I'm going to be. I don't want to be talking about how data is going to avoid a fine. I want to talk about how data is going to help you build cool stuff, right? And I think that that's that's where the knowledge graph comes in. So that's really exciting. Awesome. All right, we'll throw it back to you to wrap up. Three questions. One, what's your advice about data, about life? Second, who should we invite next? And third, what resources do you follow? Um, okay. <clears throat> I mean, we covered quite a few data advice, but maybe I'll go down the life advice stuff. Um, I don't know. I'll maybe be a life guru. I, I, you know, I, I, um, I try and stay kind of organized with my time. And I did, there's a thing about, you know, habits of effective people. I, I'm sure you've read the book, right, about your sphere of influence, right, and how if you allow yourself to just get sucked into stuff that you can't control, you're going to be all over the place, right? You've got to defend your square, right? So recently, I, I was, there's a CDI I'm kind of working with who really frustrated, does, you know, basically doesn't know what his job is. And we spent the last two weeks going, this is what you can do in this business, given how it is, and helping him present to his COO to go, this is what I think my job is. This is what I want to do responsible, right? So I think on a personal level, I think, you know, know your space, right? Like, what are you responsible for? Well, what's the value you're going to add? Where are you not in competition with others? And how can you brand yourself as that deliverer of value without making yourself responsible for all the all the noise, right? So I think that was my personal advice to people in danger. Know your space, I love that. And know your space. Yeah. Mm. Right. Who should we invite next? Um, actually, I think on that, so so there's, there's almost, there's, there's uh, two people I kind of quickly thought of, right? So there's a guy, um, Sam Sharma, he was having drinks with us in London the other day. Uh, and the reason I mentioned him is because his his podcast is all just CDO people. It's not consultants like me. It's all people who are actually kind of doing the job, right? It's not people who talk, you know, rubbish like me on the podcast. These are people who do the job, right? Um I think they they would he probably be a, have some really interesting insights about the struggles people are facing and whether people have tried to have these conversations and because again sometimes as a consultant I can come in and kind of say all this nice stuff but I you know your world is the reality of your world right so I think that's interesting there's also a chap called Eric Broder I've spoken to a couple of times and he put out some interesting stuff about using team topologies for data and so we had some really interesting conversations about moving away from thinking of the data organization as BAU, like head of governance, head of engineering, and thinking of your data op model as team topologies, which is how do I set up teams to go build some stuff? So I think that's a really interesting thing that he and I were talking about collaborating on, which is data op models, which are all about delivery as opposed to, yeah, you say, anyway, I think that's, a, that, that is, I think is an interesting topic to get into. Him. That, that's great. Yeah, I've been talking to Samir uh, and I think we, we we're going to, figure out how to get him on the podcast too. Uh, so yes. And then uh, Eric Bird, I've been seeing a lot of his content. I'm really excited you brought him up. I think we definitely should have him on the podcast. So Eric, listen, we're, we'll be reaching out. So uh, finally, final, last question. What, what resources do you follow? Um, I mean, I mean, I, I listen to you guys, right? <laughs> so, um, Thank you. Um, I, I do go to conferences, but if I'm honest, a lot of conferences just like vendor speak. And it reminds me of that stuff we, you know, I used to work in, previous organizations where people get their 15 minutes to present their project. So, great. So what, right? I, I think books and honestly, people, right? I, I think the most valuable lessons I've learned is just meeting people and listen and listen to them. And it's not formal presentations. Like it's graphs, right? It's graphs in real life, right? <laughs> it's the power of network. That's, that's the real value. Let's get out and talk to people.
know, build a graph, build a graph of your life. So, you know, <laughs> build, your, build your graph of people. <laughs> there you go. Well, before we say goodbye, just a reminder, next week we have Brian T. O'Neill, who is the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics. Uh, I love following him on LinkedIn. He talks all these things about user experience when it comes to data products. And we're going to be talking about his biggest pain, which is adoption. Why don't, why is it so hard to have adoption for the data products that are being generated? So I'm really excited for that conversation next week. And with that, Mohamed, thank you so much for just in having this awesome conversation about the two topics that I'm so passionate about in life. Man, there's many more topics that I'm passionate about. Metadata and graphs. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers. This is Catalog and Cocktails. A special thanks to Data.World for supporting the show, Carly Berghoff for producing, John Loyans and Brian Jacob for the show music, and thank you to the entire Catalog and Cocktails fan base.